Held tells us about her expansion from the fantasy genre into something else. First, let's reveal what she's about outside of writing. I'm a professional archaeologist, and I work for a uh, private contracting firm. I do what can be called compliance archaeology. The umbrella company that owns our little office that's focused on archaeology, the umbrella company is an environmental compliance firm. So when there's going to be development, whether it's a shopping center or a new highway or replacing the seawall mm-hmm. or whatever, there's a certain set of laws to make sure that we don't poison the water, poison the air, etc., where you kind of have to go in beforehand and say, what are the current conditions and what do we think that this development project will do to those conditions? What might happen in the future if this development project goes forward? Mm-hmm. And then you can go to the government agencies and they say, okay, it looks like this isn't going to do anything bad. Let's go forward mm-hmm. or let's change it and do some sort of different ways of doing it so that it doesn't cause something bad. So for the, the archaeology part of that, we go out and we will check you know, a parcel of land or something like that. In the Pacific Northwest, we often dig what are called shovel probes because if you think about the Pacific Northwest, it's so grown over with, you know, blackberry and trees and et cetera that you can't see the surface of the ground. So we dig down shovel probes into the ground a little bit, regular intervals to see if there's sort of anything buried there. And so the idea would be that if you go out and you dig down your shovel probes and you find something like a stone tool, that a Native American person might have dropped there a thousand years ago. That saves the trouble of people going out with the bulldozers and then they're digging and then suddenly they're coming upon Native American artifacts and not treating them respectfully and and sort of running into trouble that way. So we check ahead of time. And what people don't understand often is that we aren't like going out and hoping to find anything because if we find something, we have to make sure that it isn't destroyed or something. But if we find nothing, the development project can go forward. Right. And that's good. It's like defensive archaeology. You're trying to see if there's no dig. How do I say it? You want to discover that there isn't an archaeology site so that yeah. the developer Yeah, negative away. results. We're all about negative results. <laughs> I'm actually even one more step removed from what people assume about archaeologists because I don't dig holes anymore. I deal with the production and formatting and editing on our technical reports. Because it's all very well to go out and dig holes, but if you don't convey to the client, the developer or whoever, what what you did and didn't find and what that means and what that means for whether they can put something there or whether they should put it something else, then you've only done like half your job. So you really need to have a clear, understandable technical report so that the people who hired you can understand how they should go forward. And, and also, right. if okay. you did find something, you want people to understand what it means and what the importance of it is. Mm-hmm. Because if they don't understand what it means and why it's important, why should they care about making sure that it's not destroyed? Next, we dove into her writing. But I feel like I had a, a jump on, on some people because 
I really absorbed a lot from books as far as at least the grammar and punctuation and how to structure a sentence kind of stuff. I see. So I didn't have a lot of time where I didn't know what a dialogue tag was or, or anything like that. By the time I was actually writing, I was like, okay, I have a grasp of how to put together a sentence that is grammatically correct. Mm. So then I jumped off from there to, can I put together a grammatically correct sentence that is interesting mm. and tells a story? Mm. You know, so. And, and I, I think my first biggest weakness was white room syndrome. Oh. That was sort of the level that I was at. If um, I don't know uh, if you've done a bunch of um, sort of workshops yourself as far as reading beginning writers, mm -hmm. but um, I've sort of mm -hmm. done the other side of the table at Fairwood. Okay. Uh, and so I've seen various sort of beginning writers. Oh, wow. Well, um, and... You mean you're talking about critique groups? You're talking about workshops? Yeah. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so seeing a bunch of different beginning writers from the other side, from the side of being the critiquer, uh -huh. um, there, there's not everybody's sort of uh, trajectory is the same as far as they work on this problem, they work on that problem, work on that problem. But I feel like there are sort of certain tiers of, of types of problems that maybe people can be at. And so mm. I feel like I started in one and, and then moved on to working on another and maybe other beginning writers starting in a different one and then jumped around to work on some other one, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I, I agree that, that the different writers have different problems. I think there's a, probably a general class of beginner problems that happen that are common, but not everybody has them, but, but, but there's a general yeah. class. And, and um, just describe to the audience, what is, a, what is the white room, is it syndrome? Is that, I don't know if you threw that yeah, word in Yeah, white, white room syndrome. Um, so white room syndrome is where you don't visually or with other sense details like what it sounds like, what it smells like, etc. Um, describe that the environment uh, that, that the character is in, you just have a character who kind of like walks around and talks to people, but where are they walking around, right. what, what's around them, what's their environment that's kind of influencing them, what are they hearing, what are they smelling. Right. Um, and sort of the, the first level is usually that people describe what they're seeing, what's visually around. And the next level can be um, different, hear, smell, etc. Um, and then sort of the level after that, this like super high level, um, is sort of something in terms of um, it's not just that you are sort of journalistically detailed describing what's around them, but um, not only what is around this character, what does this character notice yeah. about what is around them, right. and why do they notice that? Yeah, yeah. Very so, nice. multiple levels. So, yeah, and a credit example here is you could say, oh, the character Bob walks into a butcher shop and he, he buys several things and then he moves on to the restaurant. And the feeling of white room syndrome happens is when you as a reader kind of forget. So, so for me, the symptom is this. I didn't know he changed scenes. I didn't know he left the butcher shop and went to the to the restaurant. Mm -hmm. I didn't even notice that. Well, that's because there's not enough sensory information, and and Bob's how do I say it? how Bob perceives the butcher shop versus mm -hmm. how Bob perceives the, the restaurant yeah. and what's on his mind about the world when he's perceiving those things.
let's maybe take this in the direction to talk about the uh, the uh, the Rhiannon held version 2.0 is what I'm thinking <laughs> about. Yeah. Um, so the Rhiannon held is the name that I have my urban fantasy under. Then sort of going in a new direction into new subgenres. I'm writing under RZ held. Mm. So obviously clearly related and it's not like it's going to be a secret or something. It's just it's a way to signal people that like if you know Rian and Held and you've read one of my urban fantasies and you know that in those urban fantasies you kind of get this kind of reading experience, mm. RZ Held might be a different kind of reading experience mm. for you. Obviously they'll share some things that I'm doing the same, but you might want to like read that and see what you think of that mm. um, separately. And so RZ Held, there's one short story published in Beneath Ceaseless Skies that's called Red Dreams that's a weird western. Just recalling Beneath Ceaseless Skies, who's the, the editors behind that, etc., etc. Yeah, some of our Odyssey classmates are involved yeah. with that. That's cool. So Beneath Ceaseless Skies is a, you're going to have to help me with this, high adventure Victorian? Uh, so how Scott describes it is it's a secondary world fantasy. Okay. So secondary world means not our world in some kind of other way. Okay. So it's a world with a lot of magic. Or, or a historical sort of adventure with a lot of magic or magical creatures or, or some kind of difference. Or what people think up think of as, like, typical fantasy. Mm. I mean, Scott doesn't tend to publish that, I, that I've seen. It's much in the way of, like, sort of D&D, barbarian, mm. orcs, dragon no. kind of stuff. He wants something no. that's different than that. But right. when people think of typical fantasy where it's at a lower technology level and there's some kind of magic or creatures or that sort of thing, that's secondary world. Okay. Urban fantasy would not be secondary world because it, it has like a little bit of an element of magic, but otherwise it's pretty much our contemporary world. Right. And so that's the sort of separation that he makes. Okay. Beneath Ceaseless Skies, which is a, it's a e-zine, is that right? Yeah. And uh, you can Google that up on, on online. He's had several um, award nominees. Okay. So I definitely, you know, read the award nominees for Hugo's and Nebula's every year. A lot of good stories in speculative fiction have an adventure element in them. Mm. But I think that what ties everything that I've read from Venice Skies together is secondary world okay. and then uh, a feeling of poetry and lyricism mm. and sort of a, a bit of sort of literary um, mm. aesthetic to it as far as the the language mm. that they're told in. Red Dreams is actually part of the science fantasy issue. Red Dreams is a short story, yeah. Okay. Check out RZ Held's story, Red Dreams, in the magazine Beneath Ceaseless Skies. There is a link in the show notes. Next episode, we talk more with Rhiannon about what kind of science fiction she'll be publishing under the pseudonym RZ Held. Uh, what is uh, what does space opera mean to you? Space opera means uh, focusing on. And I mean your kind of space opera. You know, oh, even, okay. even if your space opera is different than other people's, I want to hear what your space opera. Okay, is. so my space opera is focusing on the characters and the adventure 
and sort of um, grand emotions that can be sort of thrown into uh, sharp relief by whatever sort of element of technology that you've put into the story. So the and the element of technology is more about sort of like the metaphor for something.